This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. It's great to see people here today. And uh, for those of you who were not uh, last, not here, here, wherever here is, uh, last week, after our sit, we had a nice half-day-long uh, Sangha workday, and it was really, uh, it was really lovely to see people and to practice together in person, taking care of the many little things, well, a couple big things <laughs> uh, happening at the Austin Zen Center right now. Uh, I wanted to just start by saying that uh, for this talk, I um, uh, I didn't have the, uh, well, let me back up. A number of different teaching stories have been popping up for me personally, and from hearing from many of you, these little teaching stories or koans, as we call them, have been popping up for you as well, whether you realize them or not, <laughs> whether you realize they have been or not. Uh, some of the koans that, that uh, I just wanted to share a couple of different ones. Um, one of them I couldn't actually, I, I, I looked for it this morning and I couldn't find the actual reference. So maybe somebody here knows where it exists, or what, which collection of koans it exists in. But it's the koan where somebody asks the teacher, what do you do when the 10,000 things come up all at once? Anybody familiar with this question? This koan? Yeah, yeah I've, got, I've got a thumbs up from Choro. Drew, Drew's got a thumbs up. Yeah, so what's the answer? <laughs> Please, tell me. <laughs> yes, Choro. Don't try to control them. Yes, yes. Don't try to control them, or sometimes it's uh, let them or allow them, and don't try controlling. Drew, is that your memory as well? Uh, Choro's, Choro's answer is pretty much what I understood as the answer. Thank you. Can I add something, Mako, briefly, and then I'll... Please, uh, please. One time, Paul Holler, in a, answering a student's question, when the student said, what, what's to be done when the 10,000 things come all at once, immediately said, don't take it personally. <laughs> so I'm not sure how all of you are doing, and actually I wanted to invite uh, some discussion in this, this, um, this space and time that we have together. But I wanted to say that another koan that has been coming up a lot is the one about one continuous mistake. And then the third koan that I want to share, I'll actually read out the koan. And I'd like to set, have that be kind of this setting the, the tone. So this koan is from the Book of Serenity. And it's a story about two students, um, one who's a travel traveling and one who, uh, one in the north and one in the south. Dijon is a uh, is in the north. And Dijon asks Zhuishan, "Where do you come from?" Zhuishan says, "From the south." Dijon asks him, "How is Buddhism doing down in the south these days?" Zhuishan says, "There is extensive discussion." Dijon asks. How can that compare to me here planting the fields and making rice to eat? 
Dreshan says, What can you do about the world? To which Dijon replies, What do you call the world? So I'm not sure what the extensive discussion is, but uh, what that brings up for me is a lot of um, mental activity. Zhuishang, mental activity. What's happening in the South? There's lots of things going on. There's, you know, Buddhism is flourishing in a sense, is what he's saying. There's extensive discussion. And for Dijong, who's, uh, you know, a Soto Zen monk in the fields working. This is China, not India. I'm working in the fields, planting, planting the grains, harvesting the grains, milling the grain, or in this case, not milling, but eating, you know, soaking, stripping, preparing meals and eating them. Day, daily activities. So he says, how can that compare to me, you know, doing the thing that's uh, right at hand that, that comes up? This is what's coming up. We need to eat. We need to pay our bills. We need to feed our children, uh, planting the rice, harvesting the grain. And then Shan says, well, what can you do about the world? To which Dijon replies, what do you call the world? So I start with this koan because I want to talk about the world that I live in and care for, which is the temple life and practice and all the things that support that, all the buildings and infrastructure, logistics, all of the responsibilities of holding the space of uh, our center and our community, especially at a time when um, I will confess to you that I have been feeling frustrated, <laughs> annoyed, exhausted, overwhelmed at uh, this feeling of we're about to be able to open up to welcome back the community, um, to sit together in the dining room and share a cup of tea, person to person, that we're right on the brink and then uh, uh, delays uh, over the past few weeks, I would like to share a, a couple of just a couple of things that have popped up. Uh, I think it was two weeks ago, maybe Bruce, the washing machine broke. <laughs> and then the day later, uh, an air conditioning went down. And then the discovery of black mold under the air conditioning, and in the walls of the building, the carriage house. So uh, one of our uh, residents who's very much a how can I help uh, practitioner decided to take out all the drywall and discover <laughs> that there's the wall is composting <laughs> behind the drywall. So and then the other air conditioning discovery of black mold. So the the temple world, the the structural world. Um, you know, what do you do when the 10,000 things come up all at once? Don't try to control them. As the person who is uh, responsible for maintaining and uh, creating a harmonious, safe space for practice, uh, as you can imagine, this, uh, 
this has been a challenging, a challenging few weeks. Uh, at the same time, uh, as many of you know, we have uh, lost our remote temple administrator who has found another uh, work elsewhere. We knew this was happening. We've known for probably, I don't know, Julie was, uh, she started in the, I guess, the late summer, early fall of 2019. And then the pandemic hit. And um, just in the midst of trying to get up to speed on, you know, taking care of this organization and its membership, um, the pandemic hit. And she had to go remote. During the time she was remote, um, she decided to move to Canyon Lake, which is about an hour and change from, from where we are in Austin. And so it, we knew she was not going to come back in to be the temple administrator, uh, even after the pandemic lifted and that she was, you know, that there was an availability to come in to the temple. So we had that, uh, uh, that challenge. Um, and then we, I don't know what the timing was exactly, but I think then we, then Tim stepped down as director due to, uh, needing to take care of his, uh, uh, the remains of his, uh, doctoral program. So now we're, you know, here we are coming, you know, caring for the space, caring for the community. Thankfully, everything got online very quickly. So that was maintained. However, the, um, oh, I should also mention that there are the numerous people who continue to show up and care for, uh, Sherry's not here, is she today? She's on vacation. Yeah, she's on vacation right now. So just to name a few names, like Sherry has, um, been, uh, consistently taking care of our gardens. I, I just, I can just attest that if you look at my front yard, you can see what happens when you don't consistently take care of a green space. It just, you know, weeds flourish, um, but not so in uh, at, at, at AZC. Despite the fact that it's not uh, open to the public, um, care and feeding has happened to maintain our, uh, our temple space so that we have a space to return to when, uh, when we can. Um, during the, during this time, uh, flowers continued to appear on the altars. When we had a, mm, a massive project that, that needed to ta be taken care of, uh, we implored our community members to chip in and, and help support paying for a whole new pl plumbing and, uh, second floor air conditioning unit, new water heater. We've weathered a lot our community as the community, the space, the space has weathered much over this past year and three or four months. And yet there's this feeling of, um, and maybe some of you feel this as well in your own lives with your own 10,000 things that come up all at once. There may be a feeling of it's just not an option to drop any of them. It's not an option. Now, uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with um, um, 
ooh, what is her name? Stephen Mitchell's wife, who is a practicing Taoist, Byron Katie. Byron Katie has this uh, program that starts with the one with one question, which is, "Is it true?" So when you feel what I feel, uh, it's not an option to drop anything. If I drop this, then the mold spreads. If I drop that, then where do residents have to wash their clothes? If I drop that, you know, those kinds of things. Um, it feels like it's not an option to drop anything. Byron Katie might ask this question, is that true? And in some sense, no, it's not true. We can always drop something. Sometimes we don't have a choice, right? But when the 10,000 myriad things come up, you know, what do we usually do? What do I do when the 10,000 myriad things come up? I try to control them. <laughs> and I think that this is, uh, this is a shared experience among all of us. <laughs> and in some sense, you know, reflecting on it, as a, if you look at it as a spectrum, you know, maybe you try to prioritize. Maybe you uh, jot things down in a in a list and then like visualize how those things can like get bumped to the top of the list. Or maybe you don't have the option, and what's right in front of you becomes the most important thing because there it is, and you're there, and you might be able to do something to lend a hand. So, this feeling of it's not an option to drop anything, in some sense you can say that's not true. We can all uh, uh, change our names and move out of the country. <laughs> Maybe not now we can. <laughs> There's a way in which we can say, you know what? <laughs> I've been reading about how many people in the, uh, in the US right now, some huge percentage of people are feeling like they just, they don't want to go back to work. <laughs> or at the very least, they don't want to go back to the way things were before. This pandemic has, in many ways, offered um, or maybe forced upon us a kind of pause, maybe even an you know an existential pause. Okay, like I've been doing this thing. Everything in my life, regardless of whether I like it or not, has supported me to continue doing this thing. And then, boom, everything changes. Suddenly, people are unemployed. They can't find. They can't go into the office, even if they are employed. They, uh, they try to make ends meet. Think, you know, everything shifts around and we find what we've all been talking about as the so-called new normal. Well, <laughs> the basic fact of impermanence says the new normal is going to give way to the next new normal, which gives way to the, that next new normal and so forth and so forth. So how do we, uh, what do we do when these 10,000 things come up when we, you know, we may feel like, okay, well, we can drop this. That may be a liberating thought for a moment. And I will confess that I've had the thought. <laughs> um, okay, <laughs> this isn't happening. Um, but then when you think about this question of like, what about this, this, this feeling of it's not an option to drop it to drop things, um, doesn't that sound like the Bodhisattva vow? 
you know, the Bodhisattva is the uh, enlightening being that enters, you know, what is one of the, the one of the main kind of uh, characteristics of the Bodhisattva is, um, is fearlessness. And as I've said, you've probably heard me say many different Dharma talks that fearlessness, fearlessness does not mean not having fear. It does not mean that like, oh, I can't practice fearlessness until fear doesn't arise for me. Right? It's in these places where we get squeezed, where we feel like the 10,000 things are happening all at once. And then we realize that, oh, no, actually, there are another 20,000 things just around the corner that we don't even know about. Right? So in our worlds, in Dijon's world, when he asks this question, what do you call the world? This is a deep question that, in my mind, the function of koans um, is not to necessarily think about them, although we can't help but do that because we're humans and we have this organ called the brain that secretes thoughts. So we have no choice but to think about these things. But oftentimes koans, uh, the, the functioning of a koan is to turn a phrase or to turn our minds or to turn our hearts in another direction than the habitual self kind of, uh, selfing direction that our karmic life takes us in. Right. So we have a moment, an opportunity to take a step back and ask the question, in this case, what do you call the world? So amidst the, the one continuous mistake or the myriad things coming up and over being overwhelming and the feeling of how to, you know, maybe our first pass is to try to control or to at least guide, right? Many of you know that Tassajara right now, Tassajara Zen Mountain Center, our home monastery is, uh, is literally under, <laughs> under fire, meaning there's a fire burning above it, <laughs> like right above it. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure that it's on, I mean, it, the fire, when you look at the map, it's on the ridge overlooking Tassajara. So it's been evacuated. There's a number of monks who are still there with the aid of, I think they've got four, uh, engines and maybe 400 crew, uh, p- uh, people, firefighters working, uh, to try to contain it. I think it's like maybe 28% now contained, but it's, um, literally there's a fire coming down the mountain and, um, you know, many of you know, back in 2008, there was a fire at Tassajara and it did go through the, the valley. It did burn buildings. It was, uh, it was not controllable. However, despite not being able to control, you know, how do you meet that which cannot be controlled? Right. Our first pass is always tighten control, try to control, try to, uh, you know, even if it's just strategizing, how do I prioritize? Let me, you know, take a step back and prioritize the, the different things and, you know, check them off my list. Right. This is the doing mentality, which is so easy to get caught in, in the midst of many things happening all at once. Now, the Buddha, teaches um, that what we do in these situations, right, we don't turn away. 
But that's not the same thing as trying to control, right? Sometimes it feels like a false dichotomy. Either I'm able to control everything and, and you know, inevitably a couple things drop, but hopefully they're not the really big things that drop on the, you know, that splat on the floor, right? The Buddha, the Buddha taught that we turn to and allow, right? Just like in the koan, right? Don't try to control them. You allow things, but there's a different way of allowing so when you're sitting in meditation, for example, which is a nice way of kind of cutting out the extra and just, okay, you're sitting. And when you're sitting in meditation, you're not, hopefully, trying to plan your life and figure things out. You're hopefully in a receptive, open-hearted, spacious place of allowing whatever comes to arrive and then to to pass away because that is the uh, the nature of all things is that they arise and then they pass away sometimes not fast enough for us however we turn towards what's happening now in our bodies in our minds not the content right not the content, because turning towards the content is actually turning away from this present moment. It's turning to thinking about, to strategizing. But when we turn inward and watch the body and ask this question, what is this? What's happening now? Right? What's happening now? We don't uh, or maybe we do, but it's not so helpful to try to come up with facts about the matter, right? Things that decisions that become facts or kind of statements about reality, right? That's not so what, what is meant by uh, answering the question of what's happening, of turning towards what's happening in this moment. It's more that we feel our way into it. We breathe. We sit upright. We feel our butt on the cushion or on the chair. We feel our feet on the ground. We feel the tension in this place, in that place, wherever we hold our tension. Um, we become intimately familiar with our own... Um, <laughs> my, my teacher, Paul Haller, would like to use... He likes to use the word intrigue. <laughs> The intrigues, right? We, we, we don't turn towards the intrigue that, that kind of is the aboutness of how we're feeling. We don't go towards the explanation of how and why. The, the why question is even like, what a rabbit hole. <laughs> why am I feeling this way? Well, it's because of this and that. And, you know, we can go on forever about the why. It's the what. What is this expressing itself through this body and mind? moment after moment. And Dogen Zenji in Genjo Koan, when he refers to, um, uh, there's, a, there's the phrase in Genjo Koan, to carry the self forward and experience myriad things is delusion. That myriad things come forth and experience themselves is awakening. So when we carry our self forward, meaning all of our ideas and concepts and, you know, all these things are a part of a human life, right? A self-identity. Oh, I am this way, not that way. 
right? We hold these and it's inevitable that we have ideas about ourselves. But when we carry ourselves forward, and I will uh, just reflect back uh, how I do this, right? How I do this and, and how I get caught is to feel like, um, well, I'm supposed to be the blank, you know, fill in the blank, right? I'm supposed to be the manager. I'm supposed to be the, you know, the facilitator. I'm supposed to be the calm, present one. <laughs> I'm supposed to be the head teacher, right? How, if I feel like uh, that's how I'm coming forward, this is the, the uh, carrying the self forward part, um, it's very easy to come into uh, comparative mind. This situation does not feel uh, like other situations where I felt like, oh, yeah, I'm a X, Y, or Z. I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I'm a, a journeyman carpenter. Whatever it is, like, I'm this thing. And if we feel settled in that, then, okay, we can pat ourselves on the back. But when things start to get a little fuzzy and things, uh, we start slipping or when it doesn't... Um, when life comes up and, you know, so-called gets in the way with our conceptions, <laughs> when life, isn't that funny? We have this, life just get, came up and got in the way of like my plan. <laughs> I had this plan. We had this plan. We were going to, you know, we were going to be training a Don Rio and opening up our, uh, our Zendo for in-person practice in the mornings. And, um, and then things turned, uh, uh, went went sideways a little bit, not in a not in a big way, and uh, uh, we'll hear more about that. I'm going to invite some people to speak about that, about how how things have been going in in that realm. But when we come at it with, um, you know, we have goals, we have expectations, we have hope. In in all of that, um, having these things, having goals, expectations, desires, having a vow, having intentions, right? All of these things are part of a human life. The question becomes, what happens when we feel like we can't, uh, we're not uh, able to manifest it, right? Life comes up. Sickness, old age, death. These are not uh, the opposite of life. These are life. From old age sickness to death to the very mundane, right? The, the, the so-called death by a million paper cuts, the, the, where the list is, becomes really long. And something like, um, you know, just getting the laundry done, uh, you're familiar with the book by Jack Cornfield, After the Ecstasy, The Laundry. Yeah, you don't get to go, you don't, you don't get to float away on a cloud <laughs> at some point and say, okay, well, that actually, maybe you do. And that's called the God realm. And it's short lived. <laughs> and sometimes we, <laughs> we tell ourselves, well, we just need to make the time. We just need to find the time. You know, you're not happy with the world that is uh, that what we call the world. Well, turn to some other place. So it's very tempting sometimes to think of maybe sometimes I think all of us go through this where sometimes we may even use our practice 
as a way to, uh, uh, like we make time for our practice in a way of turning away from what's happening. The question is, when you're sitting, can you allow the rest of the, the work, can you allow the world in while sitting without being, um, let's see, maybe without thinking about the world, right? exploring the world, the world as it arises moment by moment, breath by breath, this world, right? Exploring this world, this inner world is exploring the world. We are not separate. So that's just what I was thinking of as a, as a way of um, actually inviting uh, uh anybody who, who, who wishes, but I wanted to actually uh, bring, I wanted to uh, invite Chu to speak a little bit. We talked a little bit before this, uh, before this Dharma talk. So I want to just invite this as a conversation. How do we practice when uh, our usual ways or the ways that we feel safe practicing or when things seem to be in flow, um, when you know when things seem flowing and you feel like you're on top of you know you're riding the wave as opposed to being crushed by the wave like sometimes that feels like oh my practice is really working and then when you're down in the you know in a valley with the fires coming down the mountain towards you it does not feel like practice it feels like being maybe overwhelmed right maybe it feels like um it may not feel like an option to uh to kind of create the space spaciousness and time it's like we, we talk about this we'll just find the time i mean i i find myself saying this to people as well when when there's you know too much going on and it's like well can you find the time to just sit find st- silence and stillness in your body how do we find silence and stillness in each moment even when the myriad things are the 10,000 things are coming forward. What does that look like? And is that a, uh, is that a solve to, um, you know, what is, what is the solve when, let's just say you can't change anything about the circumstances. What becomes the solve? that allows that breath to go down deeper into your body as opposed to being, you know, you, you all know what I mean by that, right? The feeling of feeling into your breath. When your breath is up here, you know, there's a constriction, a contraction in the diaphragm, like relaxing the diaphragm. What happens when you find you can't? What next? How do we practice with uncertainty about uh, not just uncertainty, but expectation and uncertainty about how to step forward. So um, with that, I wanted to open it up and have some discussion. And I want to invite Shu. Shu, as many of you know, is our recently installed board president. And he's sitting over at 704 as we speak. Shu, would you like to say some words? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll extend those ideas, I guess, uh, in through my own experience with, um, kind of what is the world, or in this case, maybe bring it down to what do I, my, my experience in relationship with, with AZC and Sangha. 
and that sense of expectation or you know dealing with what what i um, uncertainty or the expectation of of impermanence or of permanence that really doesn't uh, doesn't hold really um so i guess the practice for me has you know helped me realize or come to understand how to the concept of non-duality um and how to understand that it's so natural if not kind of inevitable that we or i um think of this the, the world or in this case the sangha the, the center as being a thing uh, something there that i go to and experience and then not go to you know leave and in, and in between um it's there and it's more or less the way i left it and and ready for me to come back when i'm ready to come back um and it, it took a long time to see that maybe that's not as much the case to get a sense that the sangha is more fluid that the, the center is more fluid that it, it sort of creates itself continuously and that that i'm part of that um it it was probably a year before i went you know if those of you who are familiar with the center um and those of you who are not and are looking forward to that will will find out you know there's a door beyond the foyer that leads to the back and there's actually something back there <laughs> there's there's a bathroom and there's a kitchen it was maybe a year year and a half before i knew that and maybe two years before i was in a you know i allowed myself to experience tea and cookies after after a dharma talk right uh three years maybe three or four before i was engaged enough to participate to, as, as an active participant right to, to join the greeter team and say hi to people coming in and help them find their way through um, the center and in still all that time maybe more than half the time i still think of or experience the zen center the sangha as a thing to come to and experience um and a thing that would be there when i was ready for it when i to come back um that's diminished somewhat it's it's maybe only half the time uh and it and it's it's still a, a kind of a surprise to 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 remember that i'm creating the sangha myself with you at every moment we join and and participate and even when we're not here right we're missed so for all, any of you who are sort of new to to the center and and sort of see yourself as maybe separate from it and and um you know it's over here or, or we're over here and, and you're participating you know now and again um you're part of this more than you know at least that's what i've come to understand in that same time that i've kind of grown in my relationship or engagement and and sort of uh less dualistic perspective my sense of um certainty or need for certainty about the center hasn't diminished um if anything the more i've invested my own time and and participation in what is the sangha and what is azc the deeper my expectation gets that it will be there that it's a thing that i need to um to participate in um that i'm getting something from and you know it it can be a sense that i'm taking refuge in that permanence as opposed to the experience so that's something that's just barely maybe 
merging that 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 sense of impermanence that sense of um yet the recreation that it, it's evolving and unfolding as opposed to what i think it should be it's maybe just starting to to show itself um and now as i find myself in, you know i've been on the board for for a year and a half and i find myself in in the, the president or chair role it's tempting to um to think of the role as actually being kind of chartered to ensure the permanence <laughs> that the sangha and its its center will be there just like like mako is describing that sense of boy it's pretty important to make sure everything is exactly the way it should be um the way i remember it the way i think uh, you know the, the the rest of the sangha expects it to be there that's kind of the job and and it is somewhat true right we what a shame if if this were not here in the, in this way um but it's not the only truth it's uh it's more true i think as as Marco pointed out that we experience it together here and now and that we don't have control over it um and and the very act of working through turning um turning towards the uncertainty the, the, the mirrored things and you know the the surprise mechanical failures and the the effort that the, the the joy of having sangha come together uh, in a time that it's need we need time to scrape paint to have people come together and do that well that is azc and that is the sangha so um you know that feeling of of a burden or of a maybe a a, a doubt that that it's here the way it should be when all the stuff in the sangha is not in it we, we can't go see it and it, it's dusty and paints everywhere uh that something's somehow wrong uh you know maybe that's maybe that's something we can let go right um we are here this is us we are creating this together and what a joy so um if anything i to, this is a, for me an invitation to you to me to engage today now in any way that makes sense and in, in the form of the song that the song is here so that we can be here tomorrow um so that we can be here for others uh if if not in the same shape um deeper and stronger than ever before so um thank you for being here for me um and i hope that i'm doing my part to make sure we're here for you thank you shu So how are people practicing with this, not just, you know, with regard to uh, our community and temple, the temple and its resources, uh, but with the uncertainty of your own daily life. A few weeks ago, I gave a talk that um, I had intended to be there's a lot more I wanted to say about uh, during that talk that somehow I just managed not to, <laughs> but the talk was on the question of stepping off the 100 foot pole. Like how, and I, I think the main thing that I did say that, that I intended was that each of us has our own 100 foot pole and what we do at the top of it. Do we cling to the top? Do we throw ourselves off? Is there a right way? Is there a wrong way? You know, this is true, the universality of practice is that each of us in our, is creating a world 
it's not just our world, even though it may feel like it's this is my world, um, but completely vastly interconnected with everyone's worlds. So I'm curious. Ah, Karen. Yes, please. Thank you, Marco. Well, this is a really wonderful topic, I think. And um, it's so great to be back. I've been gone for a couple of weeks to the cool North country. <laughs> um, and this idea of stepping off this pole in my own life, I, I've often been um, one who wanted to get everything done and, uh, thought I should be the one to do it. And um, finally, when I was about 40, that made me really sick, uh, trying to live that way. And uh, at that time, the stepping off the pole was to let all of that responsibility go. And maybe, as you say, not not turning away, but I, I, I had to, to stay home. Uh, really, for five years, <laughs> and work very little, and uh, be dependent suddenly on the rest of the world, and not be contributing. Um, and I, I learned so much from that. Now I'll probably always have this tendency uh, to think I should, you know, be stepping forward and doing things and responsible. Um, but knowing that, you know, when I step back, maybe others would come in. Um, and maybe my being busy doing it and trying to do it right um, actually caused people to step back <laughs> and, and not help. And when I uh, was not able to do that, um, Wonderful things came up. And I also remembered when I did that, that even though when I'd been going along doing all these things, I thought that I thought that other people who couldn't do all those things were fine and just as valuable as everybody else. I realized that in some way I wasn't living that because I thought my value was based on whether I got all this stuff done. And so you know, did I really feel that way about other people? And not being able to do things, I realized people who aren't able to do things for whatever reason, every every being is just as valuable and important and their life is just as wonderful. And um, so I don't know if being a bodhisattva is coming in and taking care of 10,000 things. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for this. Karen. Yes, Anne. So I um, have been thinking in terms of the 10,000 things coming up over the past year and four months. And um, you know, I've been working in a hospital and so it gets really crazy and I have been embracing the image, uh, well, I, 
if you're familiar with tarot cards, um, of the fool. And the fool would gladly step off the 100-foot pole. And um, there's also a certain kind of uh, innocence about the fool um, and able to kind of drop away all the thoughts of what bad things may come. But also um, <laughs> having a sense of joy about the absurdity of the 10,000 things coming up. And, and I find that I maybe... For escape reasons, I rely heavily on, on humor, but I, I find that I can laugh at these things, everything happening at once, because it's so ridiculous that it's happening all at once. It's it's kind of funny. Um, that doesn't get me through all the time, but it does seem to help put things in perspective. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. I have to say that uh, on the same week that the washing machine broke and the AC and then the the cons- the uh, the demolition of the interior of a space. The next day, I w- I borrowed my neighbor's lawnmower <laughs> to mow the lawn, and I broke it. It's like, <laughs> and then Tim's car broke down. I think Cole's car broke down yesterday, and Jacob's car broke. Down. I was just like, is this Mercury in retrograde or something? <laughs> Those thoughts of like everything seems to like mechanical things seem to just be failing this last week or two. Um, but yes, the absurdity of it and just, you know, at some point, you know, just being able to laugh. I mean, it doesn't fix anything in the, in, it doesn't fix the things, right? But being able to laugh, what does that do in, internally, right? Into the, in the body, right? The, 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 the physical sensation of laughing is like a squeezing and releasing, right? Um, a rinsing, a rinsing out and letting flow. Um, the, all the stuck places, a little bit, just a little bit of flow can, can come forth with humor. Thank you for, uh, uh, bringing up humor into this. Anyone else? It's interesting. The, um, um, uh, Tim and I were talking yesterday and, uh, I had said something, mentioned something along the lines of like, well, you know, I'm no idea what to, what to talk about. And amidst all the, you know, all the things, the myriad things, I don't have the, it doesn't, doesn't feel like there's a spaciousness to actually turn to them. Right. And he, he said this thing that is true of, you know, when, when trying to prepare a talk, many times the advice that is, is offered is we'll talk about what you're practicing with in this moment. <laughs> and, and he said, yeah, that's, you know, people, when people say that, it's, um, it's kind of like, I don't want to talk about what's happening right now. I'm in the throes of it, right? I'm mixed up in it. I can't separate it out from the, the spaciousness may not be accessible. And then it's like, and then after, after Tim mentioned this, this, uh, this to me, I had the thought of, Oftentimes, um, when it feels overwhelming or when, when one feels overwhelmed, what, you know, what's the problem with feeling overwhelmed? If you break it down into the bodily sensations, yeah, it's uncomfortable, but you breathe through it and it can go away. Everything passes, right? It's not the sensations that are the problem. The problem that we find with overwhelm is that we feel like we're going to fail, right? We feel like it's a, it's a, it's introducing a vulnerability 
Right. That's created not even, I mean, it may not even be physical safety. It may not even be like a, like the survival instinct can kick, kick in. And, uh, we all know when something is threatening, you know, a immediate physiological response is one of freeze, fight, or flee. Right. And so in survival mode, when things get overwhelming, to know that that's, that those are the kind of right at hand, sensations freeze flight uh freeze flight or fight right can come up and um it's an uncomfortable place to be in but how again when we uh if we feel like it's not an option to just dismiss them how do you make room when it doesn't feel like there's room for them for something as big as um self-worth Right. Feeling vulnerable, feeling like a failure. Right. I've noticed for my own self that part of my 100 foot pole is stepping into a feeling of, uh, oh, I failed. Or I'm, or I'm even worse. I am failing. Right. This constant feeling of like my idea of what, again, this is in this realm of conceptuality, my idea of what it looks like or feels like to be so-called successful or so-called helpful, beneficial, to be a, you know, you don't want to be the bodhisattva that shows up late to the party and like accidentally kicks over the, you know, the the beautiful uh, fruit statue or whatever it is, right? <laughs> you want to be the bodhisattva that comes in and says, how can I help? And immediately is able to, you know, with the 1,000 hands, uh, to be able to offer the correct implement. That's the ideal, right? The ideal of the Bodhisattva is the Bodhisattva shows up and gives exactly what's needed and nothing more. Right. How do we find that internal Bodhisattva? Especially if what's needed, uh, we don't know what's needed, um, but what if perhaps what's needed is to actually face what's happening in the moment and which which may be the thing we don't want to face vulnerability yes karen question but even i mean the minute we have an ideal of what the bodhisattva is is it even then ever possible to be a bodhisattva that's a good question yeah we have these ideals like i mean i have to say that when we talk about you know, when we talk about our um, teachers like the Buddha, Suzuki Roshi, Dogen, we talk about, did they fail? Do we have stories of their failing? Actually, we do. <laughs> we have stories of the Buddha telling some of his monks, uh, giving them a teaching and then leaving and have find, coming back to find that they've committed suicide. They're, these are big fails, right? Suzuki Roshi, you know, some of the things that, that uh, gripped Suzuki Roshi in his own life were, um, I, I probably would, I don't know what his, he would say his biggest failure was, but from, from what I know of his biography, the fact that he let somebody into the Sangha who was unstable, who ended up murdering his first wife, that was a big fail, right? So, you know, we don't know. And to have this ideal, it's, it's fine to have the ideal, but then to bring them back down to like, you know, reality, right? The Buddha was not a god. I see more hands. Um, I think Jess and then Bruce. 
Yes. Uh, thank you for the talk. Most certainly have found much truth in my experience over the past whole life in here. Um, but And then when you were just talking about, like, we want to be the bodhisattva that comes in and is, like, kind of pristine and calm and helpful, like, sometimes the most helpful thing to do is to knock down the fruit statue. Um, because when someone that I have certain ideas about and that I look up to fails gracefully allows themselves to fail, laughs at themselves, like however it shows up, maybe is completely humiliated and cries, like whatever that is, that is actually like permission for me to fail, you know? Um, so sometimes it's in the failure, like that the opening shows up. Yeah. Yeah, we wouldn't wish it upon anybody, right? The having, having, a, we have this term called, you know, a practice opportunity. And it's like, you know, how do you turn the things so that they're, you know, as a turning things as opposed to being turned by them, right? This is the, this is the koan of a practice opportunity, right? But nobody, you would never wish a practice opportunity on somebody. And it's really, I, I would say, not, not very, uh, compassionate to, to tell people who are struggling, well, this is just a good practice opportunity for you. <laughs> but we have the impulse to do that. Or, or from a, from a, uh, a more remote perspective, we can internally say, oh, yes, we know this is going to be hard. What a great opportunity to practice. But, uh, Bruce. Thank you, Jess. Well, this, this wasn't what I, part of what I was going to say, but Maka, you just reminded me that, that, that our friend Colin Gibson, in an actual Dharma talk that was actually recorded, uh, I think his his designation for that was an AFGO. And the A is another and GO is growth opportunity and F is F, right? <laughs> another F in growth opportunity, which which I think puts that, um, like Anne was talking about, puts that, that, that humorous perspective on it while acknowledging like, I don't want this for myself, much less someone else, but that's it. But the opportunity is still there. Now, what, what, I, what I'd raise my hand to say were a, a, was a couple of things that when, when you, Maka, were talking about, we're associating the 100-foot pole with failure. I think the way that I experience that for myself is that that's what keeps me stuck on top of that pole is the fear that is, is the fear of the one false step at the wrong time in the wrong direction. And, and the pole's not necessarily a comfortable place to be, but it feels a lot safer than like falling, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's something that, that I'm getting to work with. And in terms of the 10,000 things coming up at once, um, I'm reminded of something that, of this little exercise that we've done at a number of workshops, I believe here at AZC, where we'll get in pairs, uh, one person will ask the other something like, what does your practice ask of you now? And then 10 seconds later, ask, and then the person answers, and they ask it again, like 10 seconds later, what does your practice ask of you now? And I think, I, I don't know, I, I think I do this, but I don't do it necessarily explicitly or, or verbally. But I think that when I'm in those moments where I'm, where I'm not only overwhelmed, because that's more 
constant or ongoing or, or chronic. But I think those are moments where I'm both overwhelmed and not sure what to do next. Uh, that I, I think half conscious, semi-consciously, I, I, will, I will ask myself, what does this moment ask of me? You know, by which I mean, among the many things that need to be done or could be done, what's the best fit for right now in terms of how I'm feeling, what time of day, what's, what's most urgent in terms of deadline or <laughs> mitigating damage or, or whatever. Um, you know, and, and it's hard to articulate because I think it is, or at some point it becomes less verbal. It, yeah. it becomes it becomes kind of habitual, and and I think that with with more practice, with more sitting, it's not like I sit in order to be able to do this, but there seems to be dots connecting in 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 some sense that it becomes more of a of a like a helpful reflex or a helpful conditioned response that in addition to seizing up and panicking, right, and and telling the unhelpful stories sometimes there's this helpful response uh, where I just like, it's just a moment of stillness and then I'm doing something else. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's funny also that once you practice long enough, these bits of koans just do float up and mix together. And I was also thinking in this 10,000 thing context of, of uh, the washer bowl, like, what do I do? What do I do? I'm here. I'm ready to practice. Did you eat? All right, wash your bowl. Like that's the next thing. Like the next thing, not the right thing, not the most important thing, but just the next thing. So that uh, it it seems to help. I don't know. <laughs> Thanks. Yes, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, I think that, you know, in the um, you know, this koan, this koan of these uh, of Dijon and Jueshan, you know, this question of what do you call the world? So is the world the, um, you know, when we think about the world, it's quite overwhelming when we include the entire world and everything that's happening inside it, right? We can think of, and especially with uh, the ability to find out on, you know, reading news and, uh, about what's happening in this part of the world or just not even some remote part of the world, but just, you know, not so far away from us or within our own communities, right? That can be the world. And then taking a step back even further, what's happening in this world, meaning my psychophysical, mental, um, I don't want to call it a, you know, my, my, personhood or my being, right? What's happening inside this internal space and what's the appropriate response? So what is the appropriate response when you turn inward and you find um, tension and maybe even panic or anxiety? Or if you turn in and it just feels, you know, um, inaccessible, like how do we, how do we navigate turning into tuning in to what's happening now in my body and mind, right? Which there may be not much that we can do about what's currently happening in, say, Myanmar, right? There may not be something we can, we can do other than be, uh, maybe if we have the means, we can donate to, um, 
organizations that are there and able to do something to offer respite, to offer uh, peace um, and safety, right? Those are things that we can do. We can, you know, there's lots of things that can be, can we can do, but in terms of like, how do we take care of, um, you know, how do we take care of the things that there are to take care of if we're coming from a tight, constricted place? This is a huge koan, right? How do we take care of our own constriction, right? It's not selfish practice to, um, to make sure that we ourselves are in a settled place before acting, right? Now, that does not necessarily mean uh, dropping all uh, external responsibilities and going to live in a monastery, although that is one way to really turn to how this question, right? Because you're, that's what you do day in and day out amidst all the, you know, all the work there is that happens in, in running a temple, but you have a lot of spaciousness that you, uh, you know, that you're, uh, you're given that opportunity to, to spend a lot of time sitting, right? If you're working several jobs and, f- you know, feeding your kids and taking care of an elderly parent or feeling that you have your own health issues that are, that need care, like how do you take care? You shine one corner, right? You, you find what's, what's happening right there in the moment. And maybe that's what you can take. That's all you can take care of is what's happening in this particular body and mind, right? Yes, Tim. And then Drew, does that, was that a hand? No. So Tim, please. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm uh, really enjoying this discussion. And, and I think, um, on that last part, maybe I would add that. You know, part of taking care of just this one right here is also knowing um, when I am mixed up or not seeing clearly or, you know, and that that is a legitimate, you know, place of practice. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a place we find ourselves. <clears throat> so I think that was sort of in my thought about, you know, when being asked to talk and, and somebody saying, talk about what's happening for you right now. I think sometimes it's helpful for me to remember I don't totally know what's happening right now in the sense that I think there might be some wisdom that develops by digesting this experience, you know, in some time. And then maybe I'll be able to speak about it better. But I guess just, you know, allowing ourselves to be in a place that we don't know, we don't feel clear, we don't feel settled and to acknowledge that and be okay with, you know, that's, that's the practice of this moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Exactly. That it, it, practice does not happen some other hypothetical place. It happens where we are, even if we don't know what that looks, what that is. <laughs> and sometimes we don't have the, you know, we, we find ourselves in a, in a situation where um, we don't have the luxury of, you know, um, turning away at that moment. And so, um, you know, we do the best that we can given the circumstances that we're in, in the moment that we're in. And then uh, if that doesn't feel like enough, that's what's happening now. We turn to that feeling of not enough, right? That's where um, a little bit of kindness, you know, is always appropriate. Whenever there's some kind of constriction or suffering in any kind, a little bit of kindness, some gentleness, 
right? To invite a little bit of kindness in how we speak to ourselves, how we speak about others, you know, to, you know, take a pause, maybe not speak if we have that ability to not, uh, you know, somebody's not demanding something of us in that moment to find a little bit of kindness, right? Such a, such a challenging thing when, uh, when in that mode of, I got to get this done, I got to get this done, get out of my way, <laughs> you know, to our, our internal parts that are like, ah, <laughs> you know, how do we, uh, how do we allow for space for all of it um, is, you know, the, the question of a human life, you know, sometimes comes up more than others. Right? Well, I think, um, it seems like it's been, I really appreciate everything that people have brought up. And uh, I don't know if there's anything more that, that uh, people would like to add at this point before we close. Um, if anybody has any particular questions about, you know, whether uh, practice matters or practical matters, um, we uh, next week we will be closed so we won't have a public talk. But uh, we are very much hoping to see people at the ceremonies and um, that will be in person on Tuesday night and on Wednesday night. The, uh, we haven't had a new moon ceremony at AZC's uh, in the time that I've been here. So um, we were very excited to have a full moon ceremony the other day and, and thought it would happen. But uh, due to um, unforeseen delays in the transformation of the space, uh, the, the much needed painting that's being, uh, that's in process. I think it's happening right now, um, that there are people painting away. Um, we decided to turn to, instead of just canceling the full moon ceremony, we decided to have a, uh, have a new moon ceremony, which is traditionally what was done in the Buddhist time to come together for, uh, to reevaluate how we're doing with our precepts practice, you know, twice a, twice a month, although we have been doing it just once at the full moon. Choro, did I see a hand? Yeah, I just wanted to be clear about the dates. So the new moon ceremony is not this coming Wednesday. It's the, the 7th. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. Okay, thank you. I and the had a moment of panic. Oh, <laughs> about my calendar, which has been wrong a number of times recently. Thank yes, you. yes, and uh, and uh, as uh, as was mentioned, Choro's class is happening from seven seven o'clock to eight fifteen on Thursday evenings. The first class has happened, but there's still space. Uh, if we were meeting in person, there might not be that much space, but thankfully, we're doing that online, and. Um, the readings, if you are interested in finding out more about that class, you can, uh, Choro, you can be contacted directly. She's been sending the readings, the reading materials out. And I'd just like to say that the class topic, which uh, uh, we, in alignment with the class topic, we're hoping to offer more opportunities for just sitting and soon, uh, as soon as we can, to be able to come together and do that practice. Uh, uh, in the Zendo again. All right. Well, as uh, I guess the thing to just uh, take with you, hopefully, if anything, is just this question that maybe can be can be just kind of dropped into your consciousness. 
any time that there's some feeling of disruption. It's like, what do you call the world? What's, what's truly important right now? And what is the world in this moment? Right. All right, with that, looking forward to, uh, to seeing you all um, on screen or in person soon. Thank you very much.